Welcome to Marketing Money Podcast. Roll it! Welcome back to the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. This is John Oxford with Josh Mavis here in New Orleans. New Orleans, Nolans. Hey, however you say it, it's a good time. It, that's, that should be the attack. Hey, I'll tell you this. How you say it at, what are we at, like 1 p.m. is not how you'll say it at 1 a.m. True. That I can guarantee I don't want to be saying anything at 1 a.m. But anywho. If New, if, if New Orleans has its way with you, you will be. Maybe may, may true, maybe true. We'll find out later on. But anyway, t- right now we have Jim Marion. Go about Jim? Jim. Jim? Jim? Jim is with U.S. Trust, Bank of America, private client, private wealth management. A, a lot of fancy big words that mean a lot of stuff, but it <laughs> looks like you have a pretty daggum awesome title. It's it's a good it's a good title. It's a good job. It's good to be Jim. It is good to be Jim, it's and it's and it's good to be Jim. It's good to be here at the ABA Wealth Management and Trust Conference, being Jim and Nolans. Fantastic. It. I like it. Where are you? Are you in New York? Where are you at? I'm based in Chicago. Chicago. Chicago Cubs or White Sox? North side or South side? Well, you know what? I'm an American League guy, but I'm a Royals fan. So grew Ooh. up grew up outside of Kansas City. Okay. You know, well, I, 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 makes- I, I, can't, I can't change my allegiance. Hey, Kaufman's a little um, shining jewel on the side of the highway. It there. is. It, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Cub, Cubs and the Chiefs right there together. The Chiefs <laughs> or the, Chiefs the Royals and the Chiefs. I know that was painful. I'm a, I'm a Tennessee guy. That was U- painful. University of Tennessee. And Eric Berry's like my player, and that first of all, his story is amazing. But secondly, just can they get him signed? That's my question now. He's free agent. Can and I and I and I certainly hope so because they need him. At, at 18 million. I know. <laughs> I know it's pricey. Small market teams, but you got to do what you got to do. Got to do. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's let's talk your specialty, which is fiduciary and fiduciary responsibility. Uh, explain a little bit what you preached on here at the conference and what you're going to preach on again because you've got a couple of sessions. There's a lot going on in the fiduciary space. What I'm going to be talking about this afternoon, uh, moderating a panel that's talking about what's going on in light of the new administration and the Department of Labor's conflict of interest fiduciary rule. Um, It was a big, big pronouncement that the Department of Labor made last year when they came out and finalized that rule. A lot of pushback from the industry, um, thinking that the rule possibly, probably could have been done um, differently and much better, that there's a lot of confusion around it. The administration did exactly what folks expected them to do, which is put that in their sites. They've asked the Department of Labor to go back and reconsider the rule. That's what's going on. We are still up in the air about where that's going to land. Uh, OMB is looking at this right now. Nothing has been published in the Federal Register, so there couldn't be anything more topical than this this issue of what's going to go on with the DOL fiduciary rule. And whatever happens with it, it will have changed our industry. So I hear a lot about fiduciary and the rule. What, and just because I don't know, what are the punitive damages if you don't meet the reg? Well, and, you know, interesting that you would frame it that way because in, in, the, in the fiduciary space, you don't typically face punitive damages from a legal perspective, which is a, a term of art. Um, there is much that would change under in the way we do our business 
uh, under this fiduciary rule because it does in fact change the way people can bring actions against financial services providers. It raises the standard that financial services providers are held to in connection with a lot of the work that they do in the IRA and retirement space. From the traditional bank fiduciary perspective, it's not nearly as impactful because we have been operating in that space anyway. and subject to those rules for a very, very long time. What it does is it touches us in different places as we interact with our clients in, in ways that typically wouldn't be within our traditional fiduciary relationship. So the process that you go through when you're talking to and actually uh, prospecting clients about having them come into the bank and really changes in a fundamental way those pre-account open or pre-relationship interactions that you'd have with the client. So does this affect more on the, so you're in Phil philanthropic trust as well, endowment space? Yeah, it doesn't really have a huge Not impact in the, in the philanthropic, where the, where the massive impact is from a financial services perspective. And in the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch world, Merrill is a part of our larger enterprise, the impact of that DOL fiduciary rule on the broker-dealer space right. is, is massive. Um, really sort of, you know, really a tectonic change for the broker-dealers. And so you've seen a tremendous amount of work going on there. Um, my own view is the DOL didn't really intend to impact banks nearly as much as they did the way they wrote the rule, um, which is why I would say that you know this, the, the fact that we're in this fiduciary space and have long been there um, makes this less impactful on us. But the way the rule was written had, as is so often the case, some unintended consequence that will, uh, that will make all of our lives a little bit more difficult. So the Trump administration is re-examining this right now? They have, uh, they have told the DOL, written a letter to a memo and a letter to, uh, to the DOL saying that they need to go back, reconsider the rule, think about all the consequences of that. Because this rule was final, um, the procedural, the procedural um, path to re-examination is a little bit different, which is why the Office of Management and Budget is involved in that process right now. We expect I think reasonably expect that there'll probably be 180, day, 180 days of re-examination during which time Congress may get themselves involved. We'll see how it ends up playing out. Um, but you're right, there will be comment periods because it was a final rule. Is there a letter um, with Jim's name on it somewhere? Depending on, um, you know what, there will be no letter with Jim's name on it there. Um, you know, do I have opinions on how we might make it a little bit better going forward? Sure, I do. Uh, and what we what we do know is that the American Bankers Association has been a tremendous advocate on behalf of the industry with respect to work with the DOL. Much of what went into the rule as it was finalized um, was modified as a result of work that the uh, that the American Bankers Association has done. And there's more work to do there. Hey, Jim, this is one of those things that, from a marketing guy, that's my background is marketing communications is. A lot of gray area. Nobody understands this. So kudos to you for bringing some understanding, not only th through this podcast, but, but the work that you're doing. You know, what's the expectation? Um, you know, these rules are made and then nobody understands it, but you're expected to abide by it. But there's no, you know, maybe there's a website that's 42 pages deep or whatever, but what's the realistic expectation on the pra practitioner who now has all of this res responsibility Yet, 
no real formalized ability to train or to understand yeah and and that really is the challenge with the rule as it was written so you can you can establish the big picture conceptual expectation that that any financial services provider who's working with a an owner of an ira or a beneficiary of an ira or participant in a retirement plan owes an obligation to that client of theirs to act in their best interests, right? A, a different standard than is currently in the law with respect to many financial service providers who are out there. So, so it really is a big change. That conceptually is easy to get your arms around, right? I have an obligation to act in my client's best interests. Your point about how it is that you do that in technical compliance with the rule as written is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, and it is very, very difficult to articulate a set of rules, and particularly in a, in a traditional rulemaking, that, that, will, that, that will cover the, the, the sort of waterfront of different service providers and business models, which is why when you have something that really was focused on the broker-dealer world but is written in a way that sweeps in banks that have operated very, very differently for a long time. It's not, it's, it's not a surprise that you would find it difficult to execute against that in a way that gave a clear roadmap to everybody who's out there in the marketplace working with us. So my question to that, and this is typical government gray area, as Josh mentioned earlier, what is the client's best interest? And my example in my mind would be, say I'm an emotional investor and you've got my trust, you've got my family accounts, you've got my wealth, and you've invested. And I call you, and my interest of the day is, move this money, sell this, buy this, do this, and you're like, no, 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 no. You're breaking all the rules, we set this up a long time ago, and I go, but no, my interest is this. Is that my best interest, or are you acting in my best interest by not letting me do what I want to do? Well, so, you know, it's it's tough, and the legal relationship is going gonna, is gonna to dictate the answer to the question that you, that you just asked. Look, we, we cannot, in many situations where you just have a principal agency relationship, we can't protect people against themselves. We can give good advice. We can tell them what we believe to be um, in their best interest, but ultimately, they're the owners of the account, and they have the ability to do what they want to. That's not always the case as you guys know, in a trust context where the bank is acting as trustee. And in those circumstances, we regularly find ourselves having beneficiaries come to us and say, I want you to do this in, my, in your role as trustee. And we have to say, you know, that's not really, that's not really in your best interest. What the, what the DOL's fiduciary rule was really meant to get to, and, and, and really it is a conflict of interest rule. So it was intended to get to those situations where I, as a financial service provider, might sell you a product that has compensation coming back to me that, that is outsized and that maybe there are products out there in the marketplace that would be cheaper to you but less profitable for me. And it says, look, I've got to put your interests in front of mine every time in that circumstance. So it's more an issue of trying to solve for conflicts of interest than it is to get to the traditional kind of trust fiduciary rules of, you know, do I have some kind of paternalistic obligation to, uh, to, to look out for you even when you might want to do something that's not in your own best interest. So, broad strokes, very broad general strokes. question, what's the best possible outcome, what's the worst possible outcome from, from this day forward? Um, and, and so, the, the best possible outcome is a, is a some kind of rewritten rule because we will end up with, with a new regulatory landscape in some form. Regardless of what that regulatory landscape ends up looking like, our industry will have changed. 
there are organizations who have said, and market forces that are now driving different kinds of behaviors from a, the sort of broad spectrum of financial service providers than had been the case in the past. So I would say, Josh, the best case scenario is a, is a well-considered rethought rule that does what I think everybody thinks is, is the right thing to do, and that's protects the interest of retirement investors, particularly small retirement investors, and gives them the ability to work with financial services professionals who they know are acting in their best interests. We've bumped up to our time, but I do have my one question. I've been asking this to all of our participants. It's, it's a general question. You can answer it any way you want to. Someone Understanding walk, that it is not financial advice. It's, it's not financial <laughs> advice. It is what you would do with it, and it can be financial or otherwise. If someone walked up right now and were to place a million dollars in cash, forget taxes, forget whatever, it's just right here for you to do whatever you want to do with it, million dollars in cash right now, what would you do? I would get into the market with it. It's a, it, you know, it's a pretty, pretty simple thing. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where, where I love what I do. I've got a great job. I'm working in a great industry. So, you know, a million dollars, quite honestly, isn't enough to retire on these days for somebody at my age and with my obligations. I'd get it into the market and, uh, and just keep doing what I'm doing. I like it. Fantastic. Steady Eddie. I like it. Jim, appreciate you being on the show. Uh, you want to pitch out someone get in touch with you if they're hearing this podcast they're like i really like that guy he has good advice i'd like to see yeah talk thank to you gentlemen so um i work at u.s trust which is part of the larger bank of america merrill lynch organization you can find us on the web you can find us in almost any sort of city of uh of any consequence and one way <laughs> or another we get to uh, our clients wherever they are that's the nature of the private client business our clients are all over the place and uh and it's our job to get to them Jim Marion, appreciate appreciate you coming on the show and uh, have a great rest of the conference. And we'll be back soon on the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. Marketing Money Podcast back again in the afternoon in New Orleans, Louisiana at the ABA Wealth Management Trust Conference. All the good stuff. Yeah. Help I'm, me out here. This is a <laughs> this is a New Orleans morning for most patrons during Mardi Gras. I mean, you're not getting up until this time. You're just getting rolling. Right. Were you out late last night, Scott? No. Uh, <laughs> Scott's Scott's the conservative <laughs> head of a, a wealth management yeah. strategic advisory. Exercising good judgment. He, he, he's, he, he's, I had to work today. Yeah. <laughs> he's working now. Yep. This is Scott Welch. He's a member of the Dynasty Financial Partners, LLC. Dynasty, as they're called. Uh, through Is it Maxime Investment Partners? Uh, Maxime is one of, our, Max network, Mai, one okay. of our next network teams, yeah. There you go. So tell us about what you do. So Dynasty Financial Partners is uh, an outsourced provider of investment technology, uh, investment research technology and practice management solutions. Uh, we serve three primary uh, client groups. One would be RAAs, two would be banks and trust companies, and three, uh, we have a particular specialty in helping uh, high-performing teams that want to go independent to actually break away from a large wirehouse or bank and then set themselves up as, a, as an independent shop. And we, and we provide the support all, all along the way. And I'm the chief investment officer there. Gotcha. 
So what did you speak about today at uh, ABA? Or well, what are you speaking about? No, so you've I, got a few ribbons on the, <laughs> the lineup there. Yeah, I had one one planned topic, and then uh, I was asked to, to step in for uh, another topic that where one of the speakers uh, fell ill. But the, the conversation this morning was on uh, portfolio construction in a post-Markowitz world, which was actually a little more interesting than the title sounds, maybe. Uh, but the, I, had, I was joined by a couple of different panelists, um, and we talked about trying to build and manage portfolios in an environment that's very different than uh, has been for the last 25 or 30 years and some of the challenges that are in place with managing client expectations with respect to what kind of reasonable returns they can expect, uh, how much risk they have to take to, to generate those kinds of returns. Uh, and just, uh, it was a sort of a wide ranging conversation about just trying to, to build intelligent portfolios in a, in a market environment that's quite unlike anything we've seen in a very long time. What's a, uh, I know this is a very baited question, but what is a decent rate of return in today's Yeah, I, I no, it's, it's, it's a fair question, and, and that's, we talked about that a lot. And, and the comparison that I use, the, some of the research that I've seen, uh, if you go back 20, 30 years and you wanted to generate a 6% return uh, on a portfolio, you could just buy bonds and, and take very little risk and, and get that 6% return. Today, uh, to get that same level of 6% return, uh, depending on the capital market assumptions that you use, but y you have to take almost three times as much risk uh, as you did 20 years ago to get that same level of return. Conversely, if you want to, if you're only willing to accept the same level of risk that you did 15, 20 years ago, you have to take half to a third of the expected return. So in today's market environment, given current valuations, right, because everything's been screaming, screaming up, um, a globally diversified portfolio over a five-year period, you really sh probably shouldn't expect much more than five, six, seven percent. So inflation is tough to beat right now. Uh, no, inflation's not so bad, um, but you do have to factor that in, and you sh probably should have things in your portfolio that uh, will uh, that have historically responded positively when there's more inflation in the market, because that is starting to come back in for sure, uh, and that's something that a lot of investors just haven't had to deal with uh, in five, six, seven years. Uh, the issue, of course, is that because of all the quantitative easing and all the central bank policy, uh, it's been a punishing environment for savers. Uh, the only way they could generate any level of return is by taking investment risk, uh, and and that's uh, that's been that's been tough. It's been good for the stock market, but it's it's been a, it's been a rough road for a lot of investors. So I read a story or an article a couple of days ago down that by 2030, the average age will be 90. And, and the number that I hear everyone say is 73. <laughs> I mean, that's just the number I hear. You know, or when you're obviously in the investment world or the retirement world, when you're 65, when right. you're 60, and then back that on up. Um, with um, returns being what they are or aren't, yep. and life expectancy growing and people finding or waiting later and later um, to retire, to retire yep. and, and finding wealth. Or the ability to invest later and yep. later, what does that what does that set up? Well, there, there's a couple, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, the it's it's certainly true that longevity is increasing, so people are living older. I think I heard the number today that if you're already 70, that you have a very high probability of living to be 90 or more right. uh, today, unless you have some kind of endemic, you know, uh, some sort of bad health problem. But the so the challenge is uh, is building a portfolio that will. You, you, you won't run out of money before you die, right? Right, and and 
you know, when Social Security was, was first set up, you know, the average life expectancy after retirement was two or three years, right? Uh, and there were, I think, five workers for every retiree. Today, those numbers are completely backward, right? It, most people live 20, 30 years after they retire now, and there's only two or three workers per retiree, and that number is going to keep getting smaller. So we have a real issue with respect to Social Security, but just from, an, from a personal investment perspective, uh, it's a real challenge because as you get older, the tendency, I mean, historically, the tendency has been to take less risk because you don't have the time horizon to make it up if, right. you, if you lose your money. But in today's environment, uh, you know, taking less risk is not going to generate the kind of return you need to beat inflation, to maintain your lifestyle, and to not outlive your money. So it's a, it's a real challenge. Well, I would have to assume without me, I'm a marketing guy, I'm That's not an okay. investment guy. Yeah, sure. um, you just have to invest earlier to get the compounding nature of your money working earlier um, to overcome that maybe. That's, well, sure, and that's good financial planning. You should be investing from the day you start to earn money, right? I mean, you should be putting money away for, for retirement. The problem we have in, in America is uh, not a lot of people do. And so I, I, this is a little bit off topic, but I think there's a crisis coming uh, because there's a lot of people who are going to be retiring who simply don't have the means to be retired. Right. Uh, and it's going to create a, a, a social crisis uh, because at the same time, nobody wants their taxes to go up. So, so uh, it's going to be an issue. Right. We, we, the, the point he's making is a good one. And, and we mentioned this earlier uh, that millennial, we've beaten that word to death in everything <laughs> every, we can do yeah, in the world. There, though. But there, those, th those 24 to 35 year olds or 21 to 30, whatever your demographic is, uh, spend more money on coffee, sure. high-end coffee than they do on investments. Well, well, what what would you say to them? Well, and, and it's, 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 it's not just that. It's If you think about their investment lifetime, what they've experienced so far, uh, for a lot of these folks, um, all they've seen it, since they've been old enough to invest is two gigantic stock market crashes. Right. Right. So uh, they were born into a dot-com bust uh, and exactly. the housing market crash. And, and so, exactly. So, so they... I've seen I've seen surveys that suggest that they just they don't have the same level of confidence uh, in the stock market over the long term that that my generation does, and so they're not investing. And and that they do. I don't know if they spend more money on Starbucks than they do on on, well, on that investing. Was a stat. But, yeah, but that was a scientific yeah, fact. <laughs> but 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 I get the point, right? <laughs> yeah. And the point is that they're they're consuming more now, and they're not putting the money away for retirement. Right. And that's going to create a, a huge social problem. If, if that trend continues. My, my suggestion to that, and this is just Johnny O's suggestion, would be for every cup of that coffee you buy, match it with an, with an investment in a small term and buy acorns. And you've probably heard of these new investments yep. where the sure. app just, you know, just rounds, rounds it up. up. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, at least you're doing, doing something. something. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a couple there's a couple of changes that, that organizations could make, uh, and, and it's been proven to be effective. Uh, a lot of times, if a plan, if a company offers a, a retirement plan, a 401k plan, or something like that, uh, it's an opt-in, right? You have to choose to participate in it. And what happens frequently for folks who who don't have a lot of investment savvy is they open up that menu and they see all those choices, and it's the paradox of choice. They get they get paralyzed, mm -hmm. um, and they so they they don't they don't invest. So on top of a lack of trust, yeah, yeah exactly. So so. One way to tackle that is to make the program opt out. In other words, if you, you get hired by company XYZ, you, you will join their 401k plan unless you consciously decide not to. Right. And just simplify the choices. Put and, an index fund and, or something. And, just, yeah, just simplify yeah. the choices and opt, make it opt out and, and, and in essence, force them. Well, what people don't, or, or what these young people don't realize is with, in many cases, mandated matching. Yeah. 
Exactly. You're making money anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right? If, if, if the company has a matching program, then there, there's really no excuse. Right. I mean, you're making that money. You're, you're, you're not getting that money regardless. Exactly. And to your earlier point, um, the power of compounding, as Einstein said, right, it's the most powerful force in the universe. And so, but you have to be in the market to, <laughs> for, it to work. <laughs> for it to work. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the, the old um, grade school thing of a, add a penny exactly. and double it. And, yep. and in 10 years, what does that become? I can't remember the number. But right. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the other session I talked about today, this is where I sort of pinch hit for somebody. Uh, it was, uh, again, a panel discussion on the ins and outs of communicating with clients. And I think the basic point that we were trying to make as a panel was, again, my generation uh, and probably the industry writ large tends to uh, report how we're doing uh, to our clients in a benchmark relative manner. We, you know, we, we show performance and it's relative to some benchmark when in fact most individual investors don't, that's it, sort of irrelevant to them. What they care about is are, are you helping them to meet their goals and objectives and with respect to their investment portfolio. And so we, we spent an hour just sort of talking about what that looks like. I mean, what, it, it, the, and the point I, I tried to make at the end was, you know, once you've, once you've got your client invested, um, the most tangible thing that, that you show them uh, on a go-forward basis is the report that you give them on how they're doing. Right. Their, right? their income statement. Yeah, their... exactly. And so it, so take a look at what you're delivering to your clients and ask yourself, is this encouraging the kind of behavior I want from this client? And am I visibly showing my value to this client on a regular basis? Do behave is, yeah. in, in a way that you, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, but predicted or, or yeah, that, exactly. that, that you... And that meets the whole fiduciary responsibility. It's, that the it's, whole it, conference, is, absolutely, the buzz is about uh, is the DOL rule and yep. all that stuff. So. And that's and it's it's critical. And and I think too many people, uh, the the report or how they communicate with their clients is sort of an afterthought. They think it's yeah. it's about getting the client and then keeping the client, but they don't think about how they actually go about doing well, that. Well, I talked to so many people who the report's the report. That's just the way the money that that. Mm. No, you, I mean there's there's lots of things you can do. Yeah. Right, and you should be doing, again because. Uh, you know, my world is becoming commoditized, right? The investment world is becoming commoditized. Uh, an investor could could uh, join a digital advice platform and for a very low price get a globally diversified investment portfolio of ETFs. And so if I'm going to charge more than that, right, uh, what value? to be their advisor, I have to be able to illustrate that I'm adding value over and above what that would cost. And, and that's, we spend, that's a big chunk of what we talked about today. So tell me this, because um, we've, we've, we're bumping up on our time because we have sure. a set. Let me... Uh, let me ask you one thing, and then I'll let you uh, tell folks how they get in touch with you. Okay. We've asked every participant this, or pretty much every. And, uh, all but one. All but one. <laughs> hey, in the investment world, and I'm that's every. Up. I'm yeah. rounding up. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That, that was an, I'm kidding. That was an anomaly. Uh, the question here is, take all the ways it came here out. If someone dropped a million dollars in cash in front of you right now, what would you do with it? Well. And you can say anything. This no, isn't advice. This is what you would do. No, I, I think that the um, a, as an advisor – Right, I believe that you know prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So it's a, it's a, it's a. I'm not trying to dodge the question, but the first thing you have to do is engage in discovery with the client to figure out what they want to accomplish with that million dollars. So it's you. If it's me, you know, at my age, uh, you know, I would probably pay down some debt uh, that I have. I uh, and but 
I'm invested the way that I recommend that my clients invest, which is I'm globally diversified. I have a, a mix of active and passive in there where I, I use active only when I think I can add some value using it. Otherwise, I'm happy to be passive. I have some non-traditional investments in there. I have some private investments in there. And so, uh, you know, my expectation, I think, I, I, hopefully I'm self-aware enough to, to follow my own expectations, right? Which is, I think I'll, I'll get, you know, six, 7% on a, a relatively consistent basis out of that. And that's okay. You know, if I, if, I, if I didn't need the extra money, I might take some of it and take a flyer on something real concentrated and try to turn that million into 5 million. But, but for my lifestyle and what I need, that's, that's how I would do it. I like, we've gotten such a diverse you wouldn't and, believe. And they're, good. I mean, they're, really good. they're all that's, good. That, they're that's all why, that's like why good. there's uh, buyers and sellers, right? That's it. That's well, good. I mean, some of it when it's personal money. I mean, we've had people that just go buy things. Right. <laughs> there's no. Yeah, investment. you know, of course, you probably. Yeah, sure. But how much can you buy? Right? Yeah. <laughs> that you don't have. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Scott, you keep telling us your your gener- your generation. This is yeah. you know radio for all intents and okay. purposes. So everybody knows Scott's in his mid thirties, <laughs> um, so he, he's an advanced thinking he's just millennial. A, he's just a young buck. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm a ripe old fifty six. Nah, in today's world, that's that's just early I'm, middle I'm age. I'm getting going. Yeah. Just getting go. going. So Scott, if someone heard this and they said, "Man, that guy's pretty smart. I want to get in touch with him, or I want to get in touch with his firm and mm-hmm. see what they could do for us," because you're going to have. Lots of wealth management folks and yep. types hopefully listening to this. What would and how? So a couple different ways. Uh, one, the easiest way is to just go to the Dynasty Financial Partners website, which is just dynastyfp.com. Uh, my contact information is listed there. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, at Scott Welch. Uh, at Scott Welch, and then I have a Twitter handle, which is Scott D underscore Welch. And uh, uh, and you can you can track me, follow me, contact me, get a hold of me, any of those ways. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks 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 for your time. I appreciate it. it. Yeah, you bet. To the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. We are here live, although you won't hear it live, it'll be recorded, but we are live in New Orleans, Louisiana, doing things with our lady, Cecilia. And I would start singing, but. We I, will run <laughs> off the eight listeners we have. I would be breaking their hearts and not your heart. You'd be shaking. so charming, though. Well, just, we'll, we'll charm you in other ways. <laughs> So Cecilia, I don't know how, but Cecilia Calaby is, she is the trust guru. You're very trusting, so that's what got you in this, right? <laughs> Wait, trusting or trustworthy? Both. Sure. And I have to say right away, I'm not not actually a trust guru. Uh, my colleague Phoebe Papa Giorgio, whose name I'll say over and over again because it's great to say, it, it rolls is the trust guru. She's humble and as well. She is humble <laughs> as well. The uh, a five tool player. She is. She's a five tool player. She is humble, trustworthy, trusting. So Cecilia, tell us about what you do at ABA. Uh, so I get to work on regulatory policy, which means uh, we have to think hard about what it is the banking regulators are doing and the market regulators are doing and whether it's um, rural initiatives that make sense, that we can comply with, that make sense for our customers. Um, so we deal a lot with the banking regulators. That's the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, the OCC, 
at the federal level, and we deal with the SEC and the CFTC. And what does that mean, deal with them? We get to know them? It means I feel like I need to give you a hug. (laughs) No, they're all people just like us. They are. They're awesome. (laughs) Right. And they all, you know, they have good ideas. Sometimes they have not such good ideas. And we have good ideas. And we try and trade the good ideas and make them all uh, uh, come into into being. So tell us about, um, I know this is... Not, not at a granular, granular level, but what is your, your day-to-day interaction with, with those um, that represent those, the alphabet soup you just named? So it comes in all kinds of different flavors. Sometimes we write them letters. Sometimes we call them up on the telephone and have very informal conversations. Sometimes we have more formal meetings where we call them up and ask to see certain people and uh, get in a room uh, and bring in our member bankers to talk with them and let them know what the member bankers are doing. Uh, Sometimes we meet them at places like this conference. Absolutely. And in those cases, sometimes we get to drink with them. That's not always the case, and usually not during the day. Right. Uh, um, so it comes in all different kinds of flavors. Uh, sometimes ex- we speak with them on panels, uh, which has happened here at this conference. Bricks through windows? Have you ever thrown a brick? Nope, no bricks through it's windows. It's all friendly. It's all friendly. Okay. Yeah. So you build a little rapport at the conference when it's happy yeah. hour time afterwards, and then, then you get back to business during the that's, day. That's right. That's right. That's good. So what's... What's new in the trust world these days? God, there are a lot of new things. I think one of the themes uh, that you all may have already done a podcast on um, is uh, a rule that the Department of Labor has put out that is totally would totally change the landscape for giving advice to people like you and me about and how to already, save. And thank you for the ABA's input on that already and the work that you guys have been doing yeah, on that. Yeah, it's a lot of work. My colleague, my other, I have another colleague who's uh, leading our advocacy effort there. His name is Tim Keehan. And, not, um, not nearly as good of a name as before. As Say, Phoebe Papa Giorgio? No, no, no. Not, no, not, not, as not as quite that. as good, but still Papa a strong, Tim, sturdy Papa. name. Papadopoulos? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Bobby Papadopoulos. Bibi Papadopoulos. Papa Giorgio. She's the hip hopopotamus. Her rhymes are bottoms. She's here. Well, I want to oh. meet her. <laughs> you I can't take her name in vain. We no. can't have her on the podcast because there's no way. You guys could say that? No. Of we course you ha- could. You just did yourself. Okay. <laughs> we couldn't do anything seriously, though. It'd just be like, Papa, Papa no, no. I'm going to bring her over here. So, so back, back. <clears throat> so, we um, so right, we digress. I, but did you all do a podcast on this with Jim Marion on yeah, the deal? We, Terrific. The He's a wonderful customer. expert yeah. in the area, in in the membership, and a great supporter of the conference. But <clears throat> anyway, Tim has been doing an awful lot of work talking to the DOL, talking to the OMB, and I can, if you want a small story, I can tell you a small story can about. I, can I time out real quick for yeah. the small story? I do want the story. And this is going to show my ignorance. Yeah. Why is the DO, the Department of Labor, weighing in on fiduciary? That's a really that great question. Treasury or SEC or I don't know some. Why is DOL? good? Good. Good question. So it turns out that the Department of Labor <laughs> has a group. I think I don't know if I'm going to remember this is his all first the good names question. right. This is his first good question. I don't believe of, that. Of the I, I think ever. Maybe ever. <laughs> I don't believe that either. I was just amazed. I don't know if you saw my eyes. I'm like. <laughs> He's insightful. Sometimes and a squirrel. And handsome. Sometimes a squirrel. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, 
So they have this office. It's the the acronym is EBSA. I like I say I'm not sure I could remember what all those words stand for. We but won't make. employee benefits are the E and the B, uh-huh. and that's the important bit because DOL Department of Labor employees. So they have a whole uh, group that does employee benefits. So um, your 401k plans, uh, whatever benefit plans you have um, in the government, those are all plans that the Department of Labor gets to write rules about. So if you're a plan sponsor, you're an employer that uh, puts together 401ks for your employees, the rules you have to abide by are rules that uh, EPSA and the D- Department of Labor put out. So that's why the Department of Labor uh, has this fiduciary role. And they get to say who's a fiduciary role. It's under a law called ERISA. And there are a lot of words there, but Employee Retirement Income Security. Oh my. Mm. Income Security Act. Uh, that is the law that uh, governs, gives the DOL authority and governs uh, benefit plans yeah, and it's really for com- employees. It's confusing to me because for employees because when I think of Department of Labor, their whole setup is to represent the worker and the labor within the country and the, not only unions, but just the worker and the, the process where you work, the quality of where you work, that yeah, you don't pay. get hurt, pay. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, when a fiduciary rule impacts the way a customer is treated, well, that's not actually a labor issue. That's a service issue. And that's where I would go with that is I don't know that the, that I, that the right regulatory agency is regulated. You raise a very interesting point. And we would say, uh, by the way, and I think we have said, that it would, it would, it was, it would have been very important for the Department of Labor uh, to um, interact and coordinate and collaborate with the banking agencies and the SEC, for that matter, because the folks that provide retirement services are banks and broker-dealers and investment advisors, and the regulators for banks, broker-dealers, and investment advisors are the banking agencies and the SEC. So uh, we would have expected and hoped that the DOL would have done quite a bit of collaboration with those agencies, and our sense of that is uh, not as much was done that would have been helpful. If you would have said CFPB, I'd have been like, oh, it makes perfect sense. Strangely enough, the CFPB is um, does not have authority over, over securities. Yes. Because they're not, well. But collaborating because it involves a consumer. That would be my only tie in there. But it's not. It's an employee. We so. have, we have a, wondrous, a wondrous and complex regulatory oversight okay. system. So <laughs> Wait, she, had, she had a story. She had a story. Okay. And I digress. Shoot, I can't even remember what the story okay, well, is anymore. Well, then I'll ask and maybe it'll come back. So as a marketer, my interest in this is not necessarily on the the goodness or the badness, the quality of the of the rule itself. Um, obviously, no matter what happens, it's looking to be changed. The rule itself, um, how that rolls out, but it's what I look at or what I see when I look at this is uh, is something that lacks a lot of clarity as, as it was handed down with a high expectation and a high um, uh, ability. For enforcement, for people who do not understand it, there's no mechanism to communicate what what all this entails. Um, I dare say that there are few people who would say that they have their arms fully wrapped around this this issue. And it's even then, those I've talked to said it's like wrestling an oyster. Since we're down here, it, it, it will. That sounds really gross. It's, it, it does. <laughs> so no, she said wrestling. 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 Did Jim Marion say that? Wrestling. Wrestling. So anyway, I, I've set all this up to say 
where does that responsibility fall? There's a rule set and then we're expected to understand it mm. and abide by it with no quantitative mm. measurement, really, right? And um, so how does that play out? That, I think it's it's a very interesting observation uh, that you make, and it ac directly relates actually to my job. Look at there! Yeah. Look at me being insightful <laughs> this time. You might think Mr. that perhaps Setup. right we didn't maybe we didn't do our jobs in um, in the regulatory process to advocating on behalf of industry to get I a rule that I, I, no. I know you didn't say that advocating uh, to get a rule that is workable and that uh, allows us to serve our customers in a way that we think makes sense and, and maybe, um, you know, does some good. Um, I would posit that, uh, in this case, I, ho I don't think it was us not doing our job, but I would posit that that's why the regulatory process is important. You want to have a process that <clears throat> if there's a rule initiative, so somebody has an idea, and maybe it's a good idea and they can get... Uh, support for it in their agency, and they come out with a real proposal. Um, that this the proposal should make the proposal should take enough time and enough steps so that the back and forth with industry and customers and the public at large is sufficient so that the, whatever comes out the back end, whatever's final, is understandable people can actually implement it and it actually does the good that we we set out to do right, right. Um, that that's one of the things in this uh, this particular process that didn't go so well despite the fact that it took a lot of time right. there really wasn't uh, sufficient back and forth in fact the first time they put it out they had to go back and do it again put it out again and the second time they still didn't get it quite right so it, there was a lot of industry input a lot of public input it's um, it's a rule that probably didn't get a full vetting and it would be great if we actually got the chance to do it try again right there's some very good objectives uh, I think um, and this looks that like the DOL it. has in mind uh, that we would agree with but let's do it in a way that people can actually comply and and that it right. achieves the objectives and, and the basis of this as I understand it or maybe it's just a simple the simplicity that I can understand and take away is clarity on um, conflict of interest yeah. um, or, or avoidance of conflict of interest of interest on advisors. Um, That'd be a useful goal. <laughs> no, it would be. Uh, I think any one of us as uh, consumers and right. trying to save That's for retirement, we want to get with. educated and we want to know, um, we want to know uh, 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 who, where does the, where's the, what's the money flow? Right. We want to know wanna, those things. Yeah. Who, are you getting paid for this service? Yes, exactly. And yeah. um, is there someone else that could do it for less? Which yeah, are, you want to know those kinds of things. Without without looking like a jerk for getting a second opinion. Although uh, I I would I would pause on the is there somebody who could do it less? There are well, always low somebody, cost yeah. providers, right. and but you want to find out what are you getting? Yeah, yeah, my understanding would be the same. Yeah. Oh, just clarity, clarity yeah. in general of the process. So that's been a hot topic, um, but I think there's a lot of stuff going on at the conference uh, that um, people find interesting, like where are we going economically? We had a lot of speakers on that. Fiduciary responsibility? Yeah, fiduciary responsibility generally. Um, uh, it, it's um, There's always a, a variety, there, there's so many topics in this space that it's actually, of course, hard to cover all of them in, I don't know what our podcast timeline well, is. No, we're, we're getting close to, to it. Let's ask the question. Right. We've asked all but one. And that was my fault because I didn't bring it up. Of our podcast participants, it's a wealth management conference. If a million dollars in cash would drop right in front of you right now, what would you do? With it? Wow. 
Well, um, this would make many, many people in this room very happy, but I'd probably find somebody and ask them to help me invest it in the market. Look at this. I like it. Yeah. Cecilia I already live in a house, <laughs> so I don't need that. Uh, now, see, I think this would be a great conference deal. Yeah. Is if ABA ponied up a million dollars in cash, <laughs> drew a name out, and then got to interview the different wow. investment advisors and pick one. Yeah, well, that's that past my of, pay grade. <laughs> kind of a cool deal. I think we'd all like it if we were just sitting here, even doing a podcast, and a million bucks were dropped right in front of our lap. Right? Well, you say it can't happen. I say it can. <laughs> yeah. You ask me what I would do, I'd start wrestling you for it. Oh, really? If it dropped yeah. in front of my oh, lap? I'd wrestle you for yeah. it. Oh, well, so then I'd have it. to say if it dropped in front of your lap, I guess I'd have to do the same. Oh, right. <laughs> I would referee. Oh, yeah. You'd wrestle. 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 All right. Well, that's the next round wrapping up of the As Marketing Money Podcast. It's a sandwich. just went by my face. Floats gracefully by a muffaletta, I believe. Yes. It was Fantastic. not a, it was not a Nathan. cake cake. Nathan is, is, is sharing sandwiches with the crowd. He is. my moment of celebrity? Yeah. It is. It is. Nathan's a good-looking young man. Where are you from, Nathan? Upstate. Upstate New York. And, and, but yet you're here in New Orleans. Good. Gamefully employed? Yes. Looks like he's got a uniform. <laughs> he's very gamefully Look employed. Look at him. Sandwich. sandwich <laughs> As he has a sandwich taken off his tray. Now, this right here is the guy you need to talk to about investment. He's the guy that will go get the sandwich. He didn't wait for the sandwich to come to him. <laughs> sandwich. 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 He called it a sandwich. Got him a Sammy. All right. All right. We're wrapping up. Cecilia Callaby, thank you for being on Pleasure. the show. Pleasure. ABA, if someone needs to reach you about a trust question, something. Oh, right. They should call Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> Phoebe. Best answers but, yet. But, Phoebe, of course, uh, I'm all Papa over Georgia. the ABA.com. They can find me easily. ABA. And I, I welcome calls, especially from members, but also non-members. Awesome. Appreciate you being here. And we'll, we'll, we'll cross-sell them into being members. Or, no, no, no. Give the opportunity. Oh. The value. The value we'll give you the value. Thanks for being on the show. Glad to do it. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the official policy or position of any financial institution or agency, Renaissance Corporation, Renaissance Bank and its affiliates, or the Mavis Agency. For more information, please visit marketingmoneypodcast.com.